My grandma told me many puzzling Taoist stories when I was young. Some of them took me a lifetime to understand. Here's one of them. A man from a small village took his handicrafts to sell in a distant town, passing a deep forest. A few days later, he returned home with a sack of treasures on his shoulder. Surprised, the family asked how he got so rich selling his crafts. He said that a tiger he saved gave those treasures to him. He said he passed by a cave in the forest on his way back and heard someone groaning. He went inside the cave to check and saw a dying tiger with a big infected wound on his arm. He knew the tiger wouldn't live without intervention. Out of pity, he took out his first aid kit, treated the wound with the medicine he traveled with, and bandaged it carefully. The tiger was shaking with fever and pain, so he put his blanket on the tiger and slept in the cave, accompanying the tiger for the night. The next day, the tiger recovered and thanked him by giving him a sack of treasures to take home. That's how I got these treasures, he concluded. Then his brother asked him about the location of the cave, and the next day he went into the forest and looked for the cave. To his surprise, he heard a tiger groaning inside a cave. He was afraid to go in at first, unsure of whether the tiger would harm him. But remembering the treasure he could get, he went in cautiously. Just as his brother said, he saw a wounded tiger. The wound smelled so disgusting that he almost threw up. However, considering the reward, he reluctantly treated the tiger and stayed in the smelly cave for the night. The next day, the tiger woke up, grabbed him, and ate him. End of the story. As a child, I vaguely understood the meaning of this allegory. Both brothers saved the tiger's life, but why did the tiger reward one and punish the other? The ancient people may not have known God, but they have surely discovered nature rewards sincere and pure love. The first brother's love was transformational, but the second was transactional. One is unpretentious, but the other is pretentious. One serves without a motive, but the other has a motive. Most importantly, one's love is unconscious, but the other is conscious teaching us that only the unconscious love is the ultimate love. Confucius said, when one does evil deeds and fears recognition, there is a good seed in their evil heart. But when one does good deeds and desire recognition, there is an evil root in their good heart. We know Pharisees loved to do good deeds in front of people to show off their piety. Jesus repeatedly warned us against showing off our good deeds. In fact, Jesus doesn't even want our left hand to know the charity done with our right hand. He said, But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Matthew 6, 3-4 Can you do that? It means you make a charitable contribution without a motive. The information from your right hand doesn't even reach your brain to pass down to the left hand. 
That means you don't dwell on your good deed, not even for a split second. It's a sign of genuine love. Love doesn't count the good deeds because it's reflexive. Bruce Lee called it self-expression. In fact, that's how Jesus loves us. We call it grace because grace doesn't have a motive. When he was hanging on the cross, he didn't say, see what I've done for you. Instead, he asked God to forgive us. Jesus' love is pure, unconscious, and reflexive. That's the ultimate love. There are four levels of love. Unconscious hatred, conscious hatred, conscious love, and unconscious love. The fourth level being the highest. Some people have hatred without knowing. That's the worst state of love. Some people reach the next level and become conscious of their evil. That's better than unconscious hatred. Then they consciously try to love. That's good, but still not good enough. Then through the power of the Holy Spirit, you become able to love unconsciously. When love becomes a reflex like that, you have the ultimate love. Most importantly, Jesus said the single criterion of the final judgment is unconscious love. The only qualification for you to go to heaven is reflexive love, the kind of love that you do without doing or love without loving. The Taoists call it Wu Wei. Today, we'll look at the scene of the final judgment as Jesus depicts it. You'll find out it's both simple and profound. In other words, Jesus reveals the question of our final entrance exam to the kingdom. Will you pass the exam? Let's find out. Hi, in case we haven't met yet, I'm Sam Stone, the light keeper. You are the light of the world and I'm the keeper. No pun intended. It's my calling to help you shine your brightest so that God is glorified in you and you are satisfied in God. The scripture lesson for today is from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. Listen to the word of the Lord. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. And the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at the left hand, You that are cursed, 
depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Matthew 25, 31 to 46. Blessed are those who delight in God's word. Thanks be to God. This parable is often misinterpreted in various ways. Some people mistakenly and shallowly assume Jesus is saying that the final judgment is based on your good deeds alone. It's much deeper than that. If good deeds were the only criterion for final judgment, the Pharisees would have made it. If it was so, the second brother who treated the tiger would have been rewarded. However, the core issue here is the fact that the righteous don't even know they were doing good deeds. They did it unconsciously and reflexively and without motive. This parable is the last one Jesus told before he went to the cross. It's important because that's his final instruction on how to live before his return. These parables are very relevant to us because we live in the time after his departure and before his return. This is how we should live. Today's Christ the King Sunday, or the Reign of Christ Sunday for those politically correct nerds. This Sunday marks the end of the liturgical year or the church year. Next week is the first Sunday of Advent, which begins a new church year. So ending the year with Jesus' last parable is appropriate. This last parable is often called the parable of the final judgment, or the parable of the sheep and goats. Jesus began this end-time discourse with the teaching of the Great Commandments, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Therefore, we must interpret these parables as the reinforcement of the great commandment. In short, they are about how to love. Based on these parables, Jesus wants us to prove our love for God with our stewardship. The first parable is about the stewardship of leadership. The second is the stewardship of wisdom, the parable of the ten lambs, as we covered two weeks ago. The third is the stewardship of our gifts and resources, the parable of the talents, which we covered last week. And finally, this parable is about the stewardship of relationships. In a sense, we can say that the first three parables are about loving God unconditionally, and this last parable is about loving your neighbor as yourself. However, Jesus reveals in this parable that loving people equals loving God. So it still leads back to the first commandment. The second commandment, the first commandment cannot be separated. That's why Jesus taught it together. 
Jesus began the parable by saying, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. Matthew 25, 31. Unlike Jesus' first coming as an infant in the lowly manger, his second coming will be glamorous. He can only imagine what it would be like for him to sit on the throne of his glory. And he says all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Verses 32 to 33. Here he uses his favorite imagery of shepherd and sheep. Goats are traditionally looked upon as contentious creatures. They love to fight. It implies two kinds of people on earth. Those who love peace, like sheep, and those who love quarreling and fighting, like goats. Then the king would say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Verse 34. Now Jesus revealed himself as the king. He started describing himself as the son of man, and then the shepherd, and now the king. He welcomes the people on the right, the peace-loving sheep, to the kingdom prepared for them from the foundation of the world. We all want to be in this group on the day of final judgment. The rest of the story reveals that you must love unconsciously to be in this group because these people extended their love to feed the hungry, quench the thirsty, welcome the strangers, close the naked, and care for the sick, and visit the prisoners. They did it without motives. They didn't do these things to get credit from God. But Jesus reveals that when they do these to the needy, you do it to him. Since we now know the criterion of the final judgment, many would rush to do good deeds to enter heaven. But it doesn't work that way because of the motive. It's like the brother who treats the tiger for the reward. Since our church is doing a lot of charitable missions locally or around the world, we need to make sure we do it without a motive. We do it as good stewards. So the question is, how do we attain the purity of love? In fact, it's not attainment, but abandonment. It's not addition, but deduction. It's not ascending, but descending. It's God-likeness. Just as Jesus descended to servanthood, washing our feet, dying on the cross. Let me explain. Jesus said the kingdom is within you. You are created in God's image. John Calvin said you are born with a sense of divinity and a seed of spirituality. That means we are born capable of divine love. But our love becomes impure because we are corrupted by external things by our ulterior motives. As a child, we are born with pure love. As we grow up, our seed of divinity is choked and brainwashed and traumatized by the thorns of this corrupt world. That's why we need not to attain pure love, but to abandon the impurity. Then our original pure love will shine out naturally. Get it? That's why Jesus says we cannot enter the kingdom unless we become like children. 
God created us as pure gold, but our environment makes us impure. So we need to go through refinement to remove impurity and return to childlike love, return to pure gold. We need pruning, not propagating, because pruning will make us fruitful. How do you prune your life from impurities so that you can love unconsciously and enter the kingdom gloriously? Jesus said his word purifies us. John chapter 15 reveals the details. He said, you have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. John 15, 3 to 4. Jesus' words have the cleansing or pruning power. By remaining in him, you maintain purity and bear much fruit. The fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The first of all is love. He also explained in that chapter that you abide in him by maintaining your relationship with him, by obeying his commandments. What are his commandments? Love God and love people, nothing more and nothing less. Jesus also says, those who drink of the water that I give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. John 4, 14. That means inside us, a well of spring water is stuck and waiting to flow out and gush out. Our life is like a pump that needs priming. Jesus' word is the living water that primes our pump to allow a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. Again, this analogy shows that we already have the spring of pure love inside us. The traumas, worries, anxieties, and ulterior motives of life block us from loving naturally and purely. We must let Jesus' word unblock us, prime us, allowing us to love out abundantly to eternal life. Now you know the criterion of the final judgment. It's all about pure, unconscious, and reflexive love. All we need is to prune our lives to bear the fruit of pure love, or prime our pump with God's love to let the spring of pure love gush out, making Jesus proud upon his return. That's it for today. I hope you find this message illuminating as much as I enjoy receiving it from the head office. Until we meet again, keep your light shining brighter and broader and harvest the fruit of profound freedom, purpose, and happiness. Amen. Bye now.